Last time on Video Night. I'm the mighty beach house tiki gun. Actual Hawaiian wood. I'm Robert Loja. Welcome to the jungle. Who is who? Criminals and crime. And now. Video Night. Sup, bro? Uh, hey, Andrew. Yeah. You, you want to play some ball? Uh. Huh. But like what kind of ball? Like any ball? Like uh, as long as it's round? Or how about a puck? Or a disc? Or something, dude? Uh. I just... Sports is not my thing, dude. Duh. What? Man, you're not a real guy if you're not playing with your balls in some sort of way or your discs, you know? <laughs> what? No. <laughs> I'm, I, I mean, I, this is not a confessional, but I'm always playing with my balls. Um, no. No, well, no, no. You're around, that, no man. around my house, I have lots of spherical objects. For some reason, I accrue spherical objects. I have a mad ball eye thing. I have another eye that's actually a ping pong ball uh, for a game called Kaponk that came out short-lived from Hasbro and lots and lots of balls around the house but therefore puppies or just because uh somehow they migrate towards me I don't know I don't know I don't have a, a phantasm sphere but I should maybe you're a nerd man how would you press oh, I don't know what man. what is your through line man what are you getting at I don't know I guess you're a man you're not a bro you're not a dude you're like one of those guys really creative and stuff, making up your own sports in your head to fit your own kind of rules. You're probably the guy that likes like skateboards and surfboards and wakeboards and I'm bored, man. Well, I did like volleyball when I was growing up in Southern California, so that's like a sort of beach thing. And I loved watching surfing, but those aren't conventional sports. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about, uh, I, I can't hold this voice anymore. Forget this. <laughs> Un- unconventional sports. In this episode, we're discussing sports that actually do not exist. Sort of. Sort of. Uh, one of them is a sport that we made up when we were kids, and I guess we weren't the only ones who made it up. But we're not going to discuss that first. We're going to go in chronological order, which is my favorite way to go so basically uh, movies that like completely out of reality you know you know a a sport that we have never really experienced and sometimes there's sports that are like advanced versions of what we already know right and or mutations um, of they're all satires in a way except for one which isn't a humorous satire but it still kind of like takes that extremism that we've been seeing the last 25 years or so and just upping it you know just keep upping that game (laughs) to use a turn of phrase game related yeah so what what is that one so the first one we're discussing is running man arnold schwarzenegger is forced into a deadly game on the highest rated tv show of the future no one has ever survived but he has yet to play arnold schwarzenegger is the running man i'll be back rated r and this is actually a story it's weird okay so you, have you read the original story by richard bachman no aka stephen king i haven't but i have read like wikis on it and stuff so yeah it's really different the book is much grimmer there's no satirical tone to it there's no outrageousness this is as if they had seen wrestling and added it to it i do not think american gladiators existed yet i think american gladiators probably exist because of the success of running man uh, well yeah the attire of of the stalkers is very American gladiators. Lycra, spandex, shiny materials. 
Yeah, I can see how that would be informative of it. Now, I still stick to my guns saying that this movie copied some of the flair from New Gladiators, an Italian movie, which usually Italian flicks were rip-off movies of whatever was popular in America. New Gladiators was kind of unusual because it was, there was nothing really like it. At the most, maybe Rollerball. Yeah, Rollerball. Okay, you know what? You probably figured it out just now. It's probably a rip of Rollerball, but they were like, but we have a different idea. We're Let's make it totally Italian because gladiator theme italian yeah and then no rollerballing or anything it's just gladiators so and i can't and i can't I, stand I, that movie by the way what which one e- rollerball either of them well i really enjoy the new gladiators I, but i can't stand either rollerball they're both so unbelievably boring and i can't believe how expensive the remake was and it's still dull just so dull yeah i tried to like the remake but i couldn't but no i i, I, I know you don't you don't like italian flicks no no like the italian ripoff flicks. ripoff flicks not entirely but there is a certain kind of Italian flick that I'm fine with, and that's usually Giallo or something like that. But the ripoff flicks are really, really bad, and this one wasn't... This one is a Fulci movie, right? So... Right. It's the only Fulci movie I can really watch without barfing. Oh, really? I, I don't like Fulci very much. Not very often. No. Yeah, I, I totally see what you're talking about, how it could influence Running Man. And, and we've seen the atmosphere copied again with The Hunger Games, and I feel like there's a couple others. Well, I guess Hunger Games is closer to Battle Royale. Uh, th- sort of. Battle Royale is just because of the kids thing. And yeah, but whatever. Running Man. I have a confession to make. For the longest time, I poo-pooed Running Man. Just like, it's a shrug to me. Just a shrug. I didn't care one way or the other. It's just so, uh Well, if you look at the uh, Schwarzenegger filmography, it is a weaker point. In fact, it's a little surprising that he had done it. But I guess if you go back, after Terminator, you know, Red Sonja flopped, Raw Deal flopped, Commando was an okay hit. It did make tons of money. For some reason in my head, I was like, why is he doing this low-budget, independent, yes, it was distributed by TriStar, but it was from the company Barish and Taft that also did Monster Squad yeah. and Light of Day. And I was just like, why is he doing this non-studio, lower-budget flick? You know, that it seems like it's really restricted. Well, uh, I can uh, tell you why. You know, it's all set, you know, really tight set pieces. He gets to actually play a hero. Conan is arguably an anti-hero. He has a heroic arc, but he's not a good guy. Right. Terminator's a bad guy. And then he plays monosyllabic people like uh, Red Heat and it's like very limited and here he actually plays a hero against a greater cause it's actually very interesting this time i watch it i just fully watch it without any sort of i'm gonna hate this or whatever and i realized the reason why i didn't like it was because pan and scan ladies and gentlemen pan and scan is the bane of me enjoying movies in the 80s and 90s i can enjoy a lot of stuff because it just looked awful on my square tv but when you see this movie digitally cleaned up so they've released it on streaming services and stuff when you watch it on those it's cleaned up and it's the right format for your screen because now we have those tvs and it looks so much better it plays so much better the satire involved in the movie is on the nose but not in a way that it makes it painful though the one-liners are oh yeah, uh, yeah. you know we, we were crazy for him during this time well some people were crazy for him i remember as a kid i was you know commando kind of locked in on 
that uh, I'll be back kind of moment from Terminator that people loved. Right. And really cranked it up. Like everything was kind of a James Bond one-liner groaner. Yeah. But you know, Commando, Running Man, and then I, I feel like he ditched it for a little bit and then brought it back for like True Lies and it went really bad with Batman and Robin. Oh, right. No, Batman and Robin's one-liners were just all puns. They were all dad puns. And yeah, I, I predicted Ugh. them when I saw it in the theater. I was saying them the beat before he actually said them and my friend was sitting next to me and he's like, how are you doing? doing this <laughs> i'm like Have you seen this they're so obvious but uh yeah i i guess i've always been pun minded yeah, though i don't make uh, them very often i used to be a pun guy <laughs> there's one ah! this is actually the first podcast i ever did we originally started uh, cult status where we'd find these movies that were you know cult classics and that did not have commentary tracks and we decided well we're going to do the commentary track and then about five episodes in we realized it was the stupidest thing that we've ever done that we had nothing to do with the movie we weren't film historians we're just pop culture junkies and that for an hour and a half we would just sit there like uh what else is on wikipedia let me fill some air hey no 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 they've done this before like there's very popular podcasts not ours of course that have forayed into doing commentaries and it's interesting they have them up on their band camp sites and all that stuff and yeah i yeah. guess they might be like actual professional comedians or whatever doing this but. <laughs> let me ask you this i guess the difference is getting paid to be funny because i think we're funny i think we're comedians we're just not professional because we don't get up on stage but i think we're funny people and we do this this is our forum yeah yeah no um i i would say Pro-am, because I put out a professional product, but I'm amateur in that I, I, I'm, I'm okay. You're, yeah. you're okay. You, we're not the best. We're not... Donald Glover is really funny. I think he's hilarious on stage. His one stand-up special that I saw was just fantastic, and I loved his storytelling. I'm not like that. I can't do it that way. No, but we tell stories, and they're usually humorous and intent. Yeah. Running Man, yes. Yeah, that was the first podcast I ever did. Yeah, that was a test. So it's kind of nice to talk about movies in a shorter format. Yeah, but I I like Running Man. That's what I'm getting at. I like it. Yeah. How in LB, my wife, a friend of this show, she's been on your... The Perfect Halloween Playlist. Yeah. She's on that a couple of times. I, I haven't been. Oh, actually, I've been on one. <laughs> it was the most epic. That's how I even started this whole thing. The most epic, stupid, yep. three-hour-long list of... Why would we did these? I feel like we should go back and cut those episodes up into <laughs> smaller episodes. Maybe. <laughs> so she said, side-eyeing me, like, I have no idea why you didn't like this movie. And Oh, I totally get why people don't like this movie. This movie is... See, I loved it as a kid. And here's the weird thing is, you would think that it was my father... Who brought this movie into the house? It is not. It is my mother. Oh. All of the sci-fi, fantasy, horror stuff that I saw growing up was from her. That's. It was not from my dad. My dad was real meat and potatoes. That's and, you totally know, rad. Uh, yeah, he'd rather watch a war movie than watch Close Encounters. Lots of Chuck Norris. Lots oh, of Chuck no. Norris. <laughs> and Charles Bronson. No. And John Wayne. No. If it was something eccentric and weird, it was my mom that brought awesome. it. Awesome. The same thing. With my grandfather. My grandfather was the one who would sit down and watch Outer Limits and the Night Gallery. And stuff like that with her. That's and so she had great. So you know she had that love for sci-fi. And the Running Man was one that she rented. It was one of the very first things I think we ever rented when we had moved to a new town. Which we would go to every single video store. Remember when everywhere was renting videos? Grocery stores, oh, yeah, yeah, stores yeah. bookstores. Yeah. I rented that really terrible Star Wars knockoff uh, by Roger Corman, where he reused footage of Battle Beyond the Stars, and he, it was a kid was abducted by some space raiders. Oh, space raiders! Yeah, I just said it. Space raiders. 
years. Yeah, that's awful. It's awful. My brother decided to get that instead of the Dark Crystal. <laughs> oh, I can't even get to the Dark Crystal, man. Those puppets bother me greatly. Oh, they're super um, creepy, but I totally wanted to watch it. Yeah, Space Raiders. But that is a grocery store rental. Yeah, but, you know, that's what we do. We go to every single one of those places and find all the weird, obscure movies. You know, and that's how I found The Running Man and Out of Bounds. And well, that's not weird, but it's, it was obscure at the time. And Silver Bullet and stuff like that. So that I, I hold Running Man uh, near and dear to my heart as a, a memory, but I don't like the movie as much as I used to. It's not a bad movie, but I can't seem to let go and just enjoy the cheesy, you know, aspects, like, you know, just like the crazy comic book level. Well, this time I did. I let myself do that. That was fun. It was a fun movie. I got the one-liners and the commentary about keeping the, the masses placated through entertainment so that they don't give a crap about what the government does on the... Oh, yeah, that hits home harder now than ever before. So much. And I really like Maria Conchito Alonso in this, how she flips from being somebody who is against him because she is with limited information. She's with fake news. This is a fake news movie before fake news became a buzzword. And and being said by the right people. Yeah. Because we hear so, the word fake news all the time, but we know it's like, okay, that's a distraction method from it being actual real news. Right, right. So here, Schwarzenegger is framed for mass murder that he did not commit and he tried to avert. And I see, here's the thing. Why did they frame him why were they going through with it i don't understand that part of the story that's never explained never once well i mean they, they killed those innocent people that were protesting um you know peacefully protesting yeah right? they were just given and they were just given the order to do it and he said no way i won't do it well yeah okay so what? they framed him so that he would take the blame for opening fire on them they were what were they gonna do if he what if he did comply what were they gonna do then exactly like what's the never thought about that before that's the huh. that's the part of the movie that i was like but but why did they want to open fire in the first place so just protesting anyway so and they're unarmed and everything and he could tell that they're unarmed because sci-fi anyway so he gets busted and then they escape which I thought was fantastic that this movie doesn't even just throw him into the gauntlet straight off. That it has this big 20-minute segment of him and the resistance fighters escaping. So, what's his name? Richard Dawson? Yeah, from Family Feud, who kissed everybody. I watched the Game <laughs> Show Network while I was on vacation, because it was the only thing that seemed interesting. And I'm like, God, how does he not have herpes? Right, like, maybe he, he does. smooching everybody. And maybe they all have herpes because of him. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Didn't think of that. Didn't think of that. But he is perfect. He's parodying himself, and he spots footage of the escape, and he's like, that big beefy dude, I want him because he's awesome looking. And then he gets him, and then he holds everybody hostage over him so that he has to do the game. Maria Conchita Alonso gets found out because, ah, ah, she turns from being an informant on him to being an ally, which is really nice because she decides to take, um investigation on her own and figures things out because that's not what happened when she was with him he didn't kill a bunch of people that's not what happened news i was there yeah so she becomes an ally and that's really really cool i like how it worked the script is solid it's tight there's a fact about this movie which was in the liner notes on the dvd it was only in the initial first printing Mm -hmm. and i have never found it ever again wikipedia doesn't have it nobody has it. what's the fact it was originally supposed to star christopher reeve and 
I believe the director was supposed to McTiernan. That it was supposed to be them. And then McTiernan walked because he didn't think he could do the money on the budget. Plus, he was in conversation about Predator. And then Christopher Reeve was attached with Andrew Davis. And they both thought that it wasn't possible on the tiny $17 million budget. So Reeve walked. And then Andrew Davis was fired after a week. Now, the only fact I can find is the fact that Davis was attached to it for one week. Huh. But I know for I know from reading those liner notes that Christopher Reeve was attached for a really long time. But I mean, you know, most movies are. But I heard that it got real close to production and then uh, Christopher Reeve walked away. Huh. Which, it would have been a completely different movie. And honestly, I gotta tell you, I would have felt more for it because Arnold Schwarzenegger is a friggin' tank. <laughs> Christopher Reeve is athletic, but he's not like, you know, uh, unstoppable yeah, muscle machine. Right. I, I would have preferred if it was a real person. I gotcha. I gotcha. I'm picking up what you're putting down. That might have helped our pathos. So Yeah, and then one have been the one-liners. Yeah. But it's, yeah, uh, Andrew Davis was fired after one week and I'm shocked because Andrew Davis is actually a pretty solid director. Philip Michael Glazer is not really known for action movies except for the one that he had done right before this which was Band of the Hand. Band of the Bland. Bland of the... I love that movie. Shut up. Bland of the Bland. <laughs> I love Yeah, Band but it's not Hand. interesting or weird. It's I mean, it's slightly interesting and it's Miami and it's informed by Miami Vice aesthetic because oh, it's course, Michael well, Mann. It's Michael Mann. But... Yeah. Still not, oh my god, I can't believe what I just saw, which I have heard many what? people say since it's really? come out on it's Blu-ray. Not, no, it's it's not. It's not eccentric. Steven E. D'Souza wrote this, who kind of, kind of came known for these kind of movies. Didn't he the, write also Demolition Man? He wrote, no, that was Daniel Waters. Okay, well, Demolition Man feels like this movie a little bit too. So I enjoyed Demolition Man more, yeah. even though it doesn't have any of the, uh, well, it's not subtle in any way, no. <laughs> so is it? Right, no. Well, this movie isn't subtle either, but that's fine. No, I don't know why I even started saying that. But I just thought, the funny thing is, Demolition Man is one of those popcorn flicks where you know it's not like some groundbreaking, edgy comedy. Well, I mean, oddly enough, there is some commentary in the comedy. I would definitely say double feature this with Demolition Man. That or um, Judge Dredd. I always feel like Judge Dredd was originally started off as a Demolition Man script. Hmm. Well, you could do uh, Hopscotch. You could do all three, a triple feature. Yeah. And this is when Schwarzenegger's really hitting him with all the sci-fi flicks. Yeah. Like, he really knew how to get entertaining, successful sci-fi flicks. You know, this, Predator, Total Recall, Terminator 2. Okay, so what year was was Running Man? 87. Isn't it set now? Like, this yes, year? Yes, it's 27. Well, it's 2017. We're not too far off, dude. I'm expecting any day now for them to go, well, you know, our prisons aren't profitable enough. Let's take the prisoners and put them in a game show for survival. Yeah, but, well, then you'll have Death Race, then you'll have The Running Man, then you'll have, then you'll have, yeah. then you'll have. And all of it be run by that evil Dobie doppelganger Jeff Sessions. Yeah, because he's a, he's a little elf looking dude. So the next year was it 1988? I'm not sure. This is one that or 89. Um, I want to say that I want to say it was 89 because I feel like it was released on video after Blind Fury, which was early 89. What movie? So well, in here in America, it's called Blood of Heroes, but overseas it's called Salute of the Jugger. From the screenwriter of Blade Runner comes the Blood of Heroes. Jugger's coming! Welcome to the future. Where the game of Jugger is a way of life. And death. Where men and women will risk everything to win. Gar said we could play a team from the league. And for those left standing on the surface of the earth, the real contest waits below. The chance to play the best. And survive. Break his legs, too, for good measure. Stained with the blood of heroes. Starring Rutger Hauer of The Hitcher and Blade Runner, Joan Chen 
of The Last Emperor and Vincent D'Onofrio, A Full Metal Jacket. The film Newsday magazine called A Dazzling Action Movie, one of the most original since Road Warrior. Blood makes grade, brutal, entertaining. The action scenes are numerous and exciting. The New York Post, The Blood of Heroes. Which I can see why they changed the name because... What the heck is a jugger? Yeah, what's a jugger? <laughs> well, yeah, I want you to explain to me this. And the audience, what's a jugger? A jugger is basically, uh, it, it's a weird sport, okay? So it's kind of like lacrosse mixed with football, mixed with like gladiator sports. It's extremely brutal, and basically, this is the first one I watched, so I have a little amnesia to this one. Boy, I wish I could have seen a cleaned up, non-VHS, transferred to streaming version. Yeah, but it's uh, the cleanest VHS version that you got. It's really clean and clear looking for what it is. Like a- yeah, it, it's a post-apocalyptic kind of Mad Max world, but it's completely different than most of the post-apocalyptic. It's it, it closest maybe to like Solar Babies, but and Solar Babies uh, barely uh, touched on anything. It just had a, it just had a game of- once. This is why it's not included. It had a game once, and then they ran away. Yeah, I guess I guess it's really nothing. There's nothing really like it. it yeah, it's it's kind of like a Mad Max world, but it doesn't play out like that. There's none of that crazy clothing and, and outrageous car chase sequences it's brutal but it's like this weird controlled universe where these people go to town to town playing this game and that kind of gives people their you know insatiable bloodlust you know the, it controls them in, in some way they get to watch these games and through the players they get out their rage at the beginning of the movie it starts off with this pre-title card thing it says this people no longer remember the golden age of the 20th century they didn't remember the miraculous technology or the cruel wars that followed they didn't remember the juggers first played the game or how it came to be played with a dog skull. To which we were like, okay. Yeah, title cards are usually, I think it's funny is we don't do title cards anymore. And a good writer doesn't need title cards. He's able to explain it without that. But after Star Wars, every sci-fi movie seemed to require a title card. You know, up until like the. Hey, no, you you totally need to just... set up the movie. Hey, we're Judge Dredd. We need yeah, to set up. It's, it's a trend. We that, need to set up the movie because you know, nobody it, can figure things out that this is a science fiction <laughs> film that's not set in our present reality. Just trust me on this. I have the money. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, I watched Bad Batch last night, and like you have to wait throughout the film to start figuring things out, and they still don't completely spell it out. And sometimes it's for the best. Like I, sometimes I don't want a four-page title card explaining, and it always seems to be James Earl Jones or <laughs> that's, like that explaining that's it. You're Judge like, mm. Dredd, Judge Dredd title card, which is the only reason why I like it is because it's James Earl Jones talking. Uh, wait, you don't like Judge Dredd at all? Oh no, no, no! I'm just talking about the title crawl. Oh, okay, got you. I love Judge Dredd in spite of Rob whatever Schneider. Yeah. Oh boy! But I love that movie. Don't see. I didn't like Blood of Heroes that much. It's a good idea, but it's so dry. It's very it's so matter of fact, boring. Yeah, it feels like an old war film where everybody's noble and they, they sacrifice themselves. You don't really know anything about them, and it doesn't take the time to give you any personality. There's no levity in any way whatsoever. It's just hard. It's a hard film. Now, and I, I asked you to it, explain the game itself, but uh, there I are some... because I don't even really understand it. Right, okay, so there are some positions that are played. Quick, that's the person who is on the front line. He's opposite another quick. Those are like the people that are like uh, in football positions. Like they're going to run through and try to break through the other line. But there's only two people, so there's two quicks facing off. Behind them is... A griffer. The griffer protects the quick. 
That's the guy swinging the chain. The quick was played by Joan Chen. Yeah, but the gripper is uh, D'Onofrio, correct? Yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio looking all super hunky. <laughs> I can get LB to corroborate on that. There's a back charge, which is uh, another person who's super protected with gear. And I don't know why they are the most geared up people. A slash is the other one. And I don't really know what the, I think. I think Redger Hauer was a slash. He's like the team captain, like the way it is in hockey. Yeah. But that, it seems to play a lot like, kind of like that, too. You know, the wingman, the, the lead. I don't know. It's a combination of a lot of sports. Yeah. So it does feel like an amalgam of things. It also, it felt a little bit like um, cricket <laughs> with the stick. And instead of having to hit the, the stick, the pegs off the sticks, you have to plant the skull onto the stick. Uh, the dog skull. Why? Nobody ever explains it. But they do have a couple of scenes where they're looking at a bunch of different fancy dog skulls for no reason because they don't ever use them they use the bloody disgusting one like it's a fresh dog skull is this an australian flick it was shot in cooper Pedy. now if you go to imdb most of the trivia that you'll see there is all about cooper Pedy, the opal center of the world basically where they mine opal and it's incredibly hot in cooper Pedy that they have underground housing what place are you saying? Because it sounds like you're saying Cooper Pedy. I am Cooper Pedy. Where is that? What, Australia. Okay, so it is in Australia. Yeah. You know, it's funny is I kind of like this era of film because there was a lot of movies coming out of Australia. You know, sci-fi, fantasy kind of stuff. And then it just died off in the mid-90s. And, you know, they started doing more art house stuff, which is fine. I mean, if you want or, that or kind of film. Art house but now or, I feel like, like, city-based. They, yeah. They don't feel like they have any filmmaking community anymore. It's just really rare. It seems like a few movies come out of New Zealand, a few movies come out of Australia, but you rarely ever hear about any of them. Like, their market for homegrown films is dead. So they're just basically making the money off of American productions going to Australia. Yeah. Yeah, Village Roadshow, I think, is the big Australian company. Well, uh, I don't exactly like this movie either. No. I would like to see a cleaned-up version, like you said. A widescreen cleaned-up. But I would like a director's cut of it that would tighten the film up, which means cutting it down a bit. Because the story is simply young girl, youngish girl. She's like a young adult. She loves the sport, jugging, juggers. And she wants to become a quick. And she plays on the, basically the farm league. And she is really impressive at her position. And she catches the eye of Rutger Hauer's troop. They're juggers that are nomadic and they go from little backwater hole to backwater hole entertaining the masses. And the masses are very few. And they eventually get her to be their quick because their quick is actually hurt by her. She actually kind of killed their, their quick. His leg doesn't work and so they leave him behind. And she takes his place. And then they keep going up until they face off against a major league team in a city. And the cities are not underground or nomadic things. They're actually industrial cities, but they're all dark. There's no lighting. It's it's very strange. Everybody is still as schlubby and gross. Everybody's dressed in tires. Their, their protective gear is tires. Now, this is the future. I would assume that they would still have plastics laying around, protective sports gear laying around. And when they meet the people in the city, that their sports gear would actually be more like real sports gear instead of tires. Lots and lots of tires. It's got to get hot. So <laughs> yeah. So this is the part of the movie that's pretty interesting. There's a there's a Mad Max alum, uh, Hugh, whatever Keats, the big bad guy in the latest Mad Max and the big bad guy in the first Mad Max. This movie could be part of the the, the offshoot catalog. It's a Mad Max Mad Max world. That's what I'm calling it. 
<laughs> Maybe there should be a movie based on that. Uh, it's Mad Max, Mad Max World. <laughs> Everybody who's ever been in a post-apocalyptic film is now all searching for like water. Just like those golden oasis. Yeah, and, and except they're on water, like uh, Waterworld. <laughs> Where is all the water? The well. real, the drinkable water. <laughs> <laughs> it's right here. Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner's in the background peeing into a little system that'll. He's like, he's like, hold it. on, G- give me a minute. I'll get you a drink. <laughs> There's a lot of you, so I think you're gonna have to compete in a game in order to see who gets this water. Yeah, this is uh, David Webb Peebles, who mostly known for his sci-fi work: Soldier, Twelve Monkeys, Leviathan, Blade Runner. Blade uh, Runner. So is this Blade Runner? Do you think? Is this the future? Like, future? 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 Yeah, I feel like everything is all in the same world. It's kind of crazy, huh? Yeah, I, except I don't think that this is the future. Future? Future? Blade Runner. I don't. I think that the newest Blade Runner works that way. I don't think that this one would work that way. Soldier would work that way because of the off off-world colonies thing this one doesn't this one's a thing unto itself yeah he wrote really i want to say dry films oddly enough he wrote lady hawk as well but there's like four writers on that so I just oh my god like lady hawk is super dry is it oh yeah well, that's weird he really did work with Rutger Rutger Howard. Howard, this yeah. is what this is when Rudger Howard's kind of at the tail end of his leading man status but he was doing lots of barely released okay films you know nothing that was like oh this is garbage for the most part you know but I, he just doesn't seem like he was the kind of guy that should have been a lead he's a really good actor but he's more like a Gary Oldman kind of guy who just like you know every once in a while is the lead and is mostly a support in really great films yeah but and unlike Gary Oldman he doesn't do anything more than one kind of no no actor. no Gary Oldman has a different whole different way of approaching a character every single time it's kind of strange yeah like, it's really committing even the voices are different every time he does a role i was gonna say that which is a line in a song from the band self have you ever wondered why gary Oldman's speaking accents never twice the same i'm gonna break down oh the uh you know what's funny about the 80s and early 90s is you could get guys who aren't conventionally handsome to yeah. be a lead quite a bit. Like, there's no reason for a lot of the people who are starring in these kind of, like, I would say more independent films to be leads. It's just like, you're like, how does that, how is Michael Ironside the lead in this? That's, that's so strange. You know, it's just that time period. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, Rector Howard's career was strong in... Holland, in the Netherlands, where he's from, for a long time. He played in epic television shows and all that. And then he broke out in uh, the early 80s with Nighthawks and Blade Runner. And then got typecast because he's really not got a lot of range. Like, Stallone has more range than he does. Right. Well, it seemed like Roger Howard was getting the roles that would have been offered to people like Chuck Norris and Charles Bronson first or something like that. It just seemed like he was always getting, like, the leftovers. Yeah, okay. Uh, what do we got for a split second? Well, we couldn't get Christopher Lambert. We couldn't get... Uh... You're right. Yeah. I think Someone who could sell internationally. That seems like more of a Chris Lambert movie anyway. Yeah. Split second. Anyway. Your Blood of Heroes, Salute of the Jugger is probably my least favorite rid of the four it's a competent film but it's not something i'm probably ever going to revisit right i mean would you revisit it if it's like a shout release where it's perfectly oh if it's wide yes yeah i would, I would watch it again if it's wide all right once you know rich just to see if it's even better if it if it hold, not even holds up but to see if the format hampered our viewing experience right i think it's so strange that i run to people all the time they're like so what's with the black bars of the screen i want the whole picture are you serious and, they and, keep and, I, and I love vhs I love VHS. I'm like, yeah, it was a washed out, you know, cut up. Oh, I don't Wait, understand. Why you, would you, you want this? you keep on hearing that now? Yes, because I work in a town.
one that's a retirement community basically and most of my customer clientele are all gray hairs you know okay. like old gray hairs not anderson cooper gray hairs i'm talking okay. like lee marvin gray hairs <laughs> lee marvin's dead yeah, i know that's, <laughs> that's why that's why you picked them <laughs> they're they're all dead people you're you're in a town of zombies you're in a town of the yes. living dead yes make america great again Stop. <laughs> so the next film skip ahead from the early 90s to the late 90s why did you say it like jerry lewis hey lady with a thing i don't know what i'm saying is that your jerry lewis or the eddie deason it's both <laughs> eddie lewis Jer- jerry deason jerry deason's much better <laughs> stage name <laughs> so late 90s 1998 two dudes who thought that their tv show was going to be canceled at any time so they signed the contract to do a movie with Jerry Zucker. I wonder how he even knew who they were. Was it because of Orgasmo? I mean, how did yeah. he know and, and give them the opportunity to be leads? It's Orgasmo Cannibal. and it's their South Park tape. Yeah. yeah, we're talking about Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And the movie that we're talking about is Basketball. In a world where professional sports had sunk to a new low, two guys invented a game. Yes! Home run, it's 3-1, dude. That took them... To the big time. Hard to believe that just five years ago, this game was played only on driveways. And it's hard to believe just five years ago, those girls were only in grade school. From the director of The Naked Gun and starring the creators of South Park. What an unfortunate thing to happen on Dozen Egg Night. Comes a story about their rise to stardom. The fans who adored them. Joey, look who's here. My biological father? And the forces... Players of your caliber should be making the big bucks, don't you agree? ...that drove them apart. Dude, you turned down Kane's offer without even talking to us. Dude, I'm not gonna cave in. Dude! 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 Dude. I guess you've got a point there. Universal Pictures presents... I love kids. Heads up, big guy. God, needs a little work on the hands. He's blind, Doug. Trey Parker... Matt Stone. Yasmeen Bleeth. Jenny McCarthy. I finally got all the chrome off this for you. Robert Vaughn. It's nice. It's very nice. You want me to start on this one? And Academy Award winner Ernest Borgnine. Experience the passion and the triumph. I'm the king of the world! Yeah! Ah. Face it fall. Nothing I've ever been this excited. You're excited. <laughs> Feel these nipples. I remember seeing the trailer for this and thinking, I I thought I made that game up. What? Son no, of a are bitch. you serious? <laughs> really? Yeah. We, in 1990, we moved to a new place that had a basketball court in the backyard, and it was cement, so that it was like kind of segmented, and it was kind of older, so the pieces separated a little bit. Little did we know that five years later that it would start sinking into the ground. Oh, wow. Yeah, we, we stopped playing. We even took down the basketball hoop because it was too dangerous to play. Wow. We had the separation of those pieces, so I don't even remember how exactly I started. I was a big, big baseball guy, huh. even though I was terrible at it. But I was obsessed with baseball for uh, probably about a dozen years, and wow. uh, gave up in 98 after getting an ulcer over the Cubs not making the World Series. It just It's insane. So there was different segments of it. I was like, okay, so if we shoot from here, it's a single. If you shoot from here, double, triple. If you go to the outer rim of where the court was or over to the little sidewalk path, 
that would take you to the fence door, that would give you a home run. And if someone missed and then you made the shot, the same shot from the same spot, that was an out. Huh, okay. And I don't remember if we had strikes. I'm pretty sure if you missed, you just got a strike or whatever. I don't even remember. But yeah, so I think if it was three strikes, it was an out. But if the person, you know, on the opposite side was went to the same exact spot where you missed and made the shot, it was an out. So you get two out. But yeah, that was one of those things where I saw the trailer. I go, huh, that seems really familiar. But there's no way that they would ever know. I'm sure that we are not the only people to make up that game. It was Jerry Zucker and his buddies. They made it up in their yard. That's it. I'm curious if someone's ever combined the rules of hockey or football with basketball. That'd be a lot of injuries. Well, short-lived. <laughs> I don't know a lot about sports, but I do know that those kinds of sports are similar in various ways. Get the object to that thing over there. There's a circle in the center. Uh, that's where everybody starts. And there's a bunch of different positions around the court. And you have to get the object from the center position to the hole at the end. So it's all sports are the same, I guess. Are they? No. Baseball's probably the one with like the, that's a oh, right, lot different right. than Baseball's the other Baseball's totally but different. You're right. Baseball's a really dry sport. Very, very technical. It's not a lot about intensity. It's all about timing and skill. It's more like golf it's, at times. You know, it's... I know it's not... It used to be America's pastime, but I know that it's dwindled in popularity. Like, wildly dwindled. But it's just my favorite sport, I would say. I mean, besides, like, you know, extreme sports, which I, I categorize differently. Extreme baseball! Yeah, I mean, I'm not a team player. That's the problem with me in sports is I don't like rules. I tried playing <laughs> tennis. I tried, I tried playing tennis with rules, and I was so irritated that I didn't want to play anymore. And then me and a friend just went over to the other side of the tennis court and said, you just want to pound it back and forth? He's like, yeah, sure. Instead of like, this person has to go, then this person has to go. Then it has to hit over here, and it has to go over to that person. If it doesn't, and we weren't getting anywhere. Nobody was getting to play. And I was like, can we just But like, so, thing? okay, rules. And you guys created your own basketball. That has rules. Baseball rules on a basketball court. I know, it's weird. It's what happens in the movie, too. So that's why it's called basketball. You don't know what basketball is? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so so ex- let's explain basketball, the movie, not the game now. You already explained the game. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's you'd not ha- like horse. It's not like horse. Yeah, you'd have to actually watch it being played to really get it. And eventually, oh, what I wanted to say about Salute of the Jugger is that I actually understood the game eventually as the movie unfolded. Yeah. But this is similar. You do end up understanding more. When they start making up the rules is really funny at the beginning when they visit their some girl's party that they knew. I forgot how insanely vulgar the opening was. That's really gross. Matt Stone with the uh, with the marital aid yes. is, to me, at once, one of the most vulgar, disgusting things I've ever seen that wasn't actually showing too much graphic disgustingness. Uh-huh. And so funny, his reaction. Uh, they commit. The thing is about this movie is that they commit to no matter how bad the joke is, because there's some serious groaners in this. Well, because, you know, like he hears her coming, so he continues licking the thing really quickly. And then they bring back how gross that was because it's her mom's. Ugh, gross. And later on, he's pulling hairs out of his mouth. And you think that's a psych out, which did you guys ever have psych outs? No, we never had that. That's one thing that was fresh. So psych outs are when the person's going to make a a shot and the person opposing them, instead of swatting it out of their hands, they just try to say something or do something that distracts them to the point of them bricking. Steve Perry. Huh? Oh, 
Missing the basket. I know the term brick. Thanks. I'm a sportsman. So he's psyching out a guy talking about the hairs in his mouth from that uh, marital aid. And they follow up that with like, oh, there's another one. After he psyched the guy out, which is a really funny joke because he wasn't psyching him out. <laughs> and you're right. They commit to everything. So it plays like a airplane style movie. Well, it makes sense. I mean, obviously. Jerry Zucker, right? You know who my favorite cast member is? Is, is Dean Bahar. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but plays Squeak. Yeah. He's the one with the actual talent for acting. Like, okay, those guys are funny and they have, um, you know, the good voices and stuff like that. But Dean Bahar is actually a, like a legitly, you know, good actor. Legit. Legitly? <laughs> yeah, you're legitimately. Yeah. <laughs> Too legitly to quitly. <laughs> right. Um, but the, the sad part is, is that he looks like he looks. He's never. It's he's a very unusual. He's a little guy. Actor. He's a little guy with yeah, an unusual shaped head, and he has in this movie in particular a very exasperated way of speaking, which is why he works well with those guys because they're always kind of. They by the way they never intended it to be a trio it was just a duo and then they introduced his character and it just started working and so they fleshed it out and made it a trio of misfits and it's pretty good especially with him but it's also really funny because he's ugh, it's sad too because he's such a low self-esteem character uh-huh when they bring him in and let him live where they live he's like here's your bed it's a box in the corner he's like how am i ever gonna get a girl back in here now like he accepts that it's the box that he's gonna sleep in the box but now he can't bring a date back like he accepts it and then takes the joke to something much more stupid and ludicrous. It's yeah. There's some jokes that's so bad. There's some good actors in this. You know, like you know how these movies always cast older actors. Yeah, They're Robert Vaughn, Ernest Borgnine. Or Ernest Borgnine. Ernest Borgnine. Everything that Ernest Borgnine does in this is awful. Like no way. He has yes. He has the best line that LB and I. Keep... Okay, what is it? Because I'm curious. Because I don't remember anything good coming out of what they gave him. You kids with your loud music and your dance. Fogelberg, your Zima, Hula Hoops, and Pac-Man video games. Oh, <laughs> okay. See, uh, I think it's funny that we used to make fun of, around this time period, everybody made fun of Journey. Steve Perry. I'm a Like, they were a punchline, and then, like, Glee comes out, and all of a sudden, everybody loves Journey. There's a dude in the gym yesterday, the size of a Buick, like, all oh, a wall of muscle, looked like an ex-con, and he was just like, don't stop believe in you're like oh and then another journey came song came on like five minutes later we're like what the hell that's a lot of journey in such a short period of time and there he goes again everybody loves journey but 20 years ago we were all mocking him yeah his stuff okay he's old and his comic timing is weird but that scene right there is great where he's just he just says that it's always funny it's also yeah. in particular funny for lb and i because her dad has a bunch of dan fogelberg LPs. We went through his yeah. LPs and we were like, uh... Yeah, Jenny McCarthy's also in this with Robert Vaughn, and Jenny Car McCarthy has no comic timing. Like, everything she does just doesn't work. You can see Robert Vaughn almost sweating it. It's just, oh, sorry, dude. Well, Robert Vaughn isn't very good either. The, I, think the he, very I, I think he's better in Joe's apartment. Yes, he is. But the, the very good here is anything with Robert Trey Parker and Matt Stone and surrounding them. Robert Stack was pretty good, though. Right, Robert Stack is a pretty good self-parody. According to Mrs. Elsie Melcher, a neighbor who asked not to be identified, Joe Cooper left his house two weeks ago. According to Angelique Bones, a nosy bitch who lives up the street, 
He took with him only a toothbrush, a wallet, a steamer trunk, and a plane ticket to Calcutta. But I never did really like that show, Unsolved Mysteries. I always found it to be kind of bunk. But apparently they did solve some mysteries. Yeah, the, uh, there's, a, there's a mystery from my college they never solved, which is disturbing to no end. Yeah, what was that mystery? Yeah. Somebody murdered a couple of our uh, fellow students. Oh, jeez. Um, that we knew. One we really knew that hung out with us every single day at lunch. Oh, my and, God. Yeah, uh, not taking a downer note, but they never solved her murder. And both were the exact same setup, motive, and result. And they've never found the guy. It's Whoa. been 20-something years, yeah. But it was on the second to last episode that Robert Stack hosted before it got taken over by... Um, Dennis Farina. And yeah, Dennis Farina and Rich Virginia Madison, whatever. But yeah, that was... Uh, every time I think of Unsolved Mysteries, it just crawls up my back because that was in the show and no one ever found out what happened. Wow. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah, I took it out of a bummer note. Sorry, guys. <laughs> mm, so basketball is funny. Mm. Yeah, basketball, the main plot of basketball is basically like how the big sports have all become basically corporate, you know... Uh, what they are now. Yeah, they're just promoting... It's all uh, corporate business, sponsorship yeah. and they... Right. They're, they're, okay. It's not the, for the love of the game and... Basketball yeah, it's itself all about the money. Is the love of all. the game. Even for the, even for the players, the owners, you know, and stuff like that. So they're trying to take basketball to the big time. And one of the guys wants it, the other one doesn't. And basically it becomes about, well, do you prefer the purity of the sport? And like, you know, a livable wage. It's not like they're making, you know, nothing. Right? They are getting paid. I'm assuming. They no, they're, they're not. Yeah, they're barely being paid. Actually, they're going to be bankrupt and all that stuff. Which is why Vaughn's deal is enticing. But... Whatever. It's one of those yeah. lofty... The corporation isn't exactly the bad guy pragmatically, but they mm-hmm. are principally. You know what I mean? If you're right. a pragmatist, you're going to be like, yes, take the money. Let's let's do this. You can still be cool with the game itself, but there's no heart taken out of it except for having to do press tours. That would be disheartening. Like all the movie stars do press tours now. They mo- I just want to make a movie, and I just want to be in the movie. I just want to make the movie. Here's the movie. Instead, yeah, I, I think it's ridiculous if people are cast based on how many people they have following on Instagram, Twitter, yeah. Facebook. Yeah, like, yeah. what about talent? Nope. Yeah, so that is is interesting. The, the, the subtext of the story is interesting. This movie is uh, definitely of its time period. This is right before, I think, the world started to wake up a little bit. Yeah. And it's, stopping, like, no homophobia. I mean, there's a lot of offensive jokes in this. And here's the other thing is, this is the same time period this is connected because we were listening to Bloodhound Gang in the car when I went to go visit my sister. And we're like, we haven't listened to Bloodhound Gang in forever. And it's, mind you, it's three guys in the car. Her husband and my friend Jacob. And we're like, ah, oh, Bloodhound Gang, we know every word. And then slowly realizing, oh, this is really wrong. Like, this is really <laughs> offensive. Oh, no. Oh, the mid-90s, you were so homophobic. Yeah, So so here... There's some things in it that aren't at all homophobic, even though they're presented to an audience that would go, ew, but they're presented to the audience just to show them shut up. But yeah, I wasn't just talking about that, though. There's, you know, the what, the Alamo, the Texas, the F, the Mexicans. Oh, right, right. Um, uh, and the, the is... uh, opposing team, the fairies, yeah. Certain things, right? They don't ring. But then at the end, when they make up, they kiss and make up. And yeah. as the audience, to a bunch of homophobic dudes, you'd go, Ugh, gross, fags, and whatever. But that's also, they're watching two guys kissing, who are actually best friends with each other in real life, leaning into this joke in one way, superficially. It's a, it's a ew, gross, gays kissing joke. In another way, it's just, yeah, but you're watching it. I had a friend who I watched this with, and, and a couple years earlier we had watched Birdcage with, and he was laughing his ass off and really enjoying 
enjoyed it. But if anybody asked him about it, he's like, no, man, I don't like movies about gay dudes. You're like, what? What? I was in the theater with you. And you were laughing your ass off. You were enjoying this. But, but when someone asks you, you get all like, do they think you're gay because you like it? I forgot it's Indiana. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I don't <laughs> like, okay, whatever. I have some friends that uh, did that party thing where like, girls, you girls, you, you guys kiss. I'll dare you to kiss. And then the girls turned it on them like you and your best friend kiss. And they did and whatever. I wasn't at that party, but I was just like, whatever, guys. Yeah. I know your best friends. So what? The one funny thing about basketball is it was kind of like the Austin Powers rule. Is when I first saw it, I didn't think it was very funny. But when oh. you start talking to people about the moments, and you start and you realizing, it's yeah. I mean, within an hour of me talking about it, I went to the store and bought it. I was like, yeah, I think that's, oh that's okay. God. There's some good jokes about it. He's like, yeah, what about this part? And what about this part? And I was like laughing our ass off. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna get a copy right now. <laughs> now, in 1998, the music scene was very interesting down in Southern California, and this was made in LA. So yeah. it ended up reflecting a lot of that where it had a lot of power pop and uh, the power pop of the time was like nerf herder and yeah. smoking well, we're coming out we're coming out of the grunge haze the yeah yeah grunge. so it's post weezer because weezer had made it splash with two albums and the second one failed and so they weren't on the scene anymore so nerf herder took up that mantle and made it a lot more nerdy way more nerdy but it had well, and there's Fountains of Wayne. Yeah. Fa- Fountains of Wayne was good power pop, solid power pop. But then it also had some third wave ska on there with Real Big Fish's version of Take On Me, which is a very good version of the song, and it's my favorite 80s song. And yeah, I remember all of that fondly. Here, here's the thing: is that I don't think there is a bigger chunk of music that's hated more than like the '96 to 2000 era. And it's because everybody thinks of Limp Biscuit. But I know yeah. people who hate ska. They hate ska. They hate the bright colors. They hate the up attitude. But that is my favorite era of music. Mm. I think it's either the new wave movement, you know, like the '79 to '84 kind of movement. Yeah. Which, which oddly enough, is reflected in the movement from '96 to 2000 well, of course there's a lot of cover songs but it was about wild creativity and being happy instead of being like flannels and mopey and yeah, all the videos where it looked like there was a kick against yeah the mopey stuff i love i love that era of swing ska pop punk was coming around you know and i i know people hate them but i love smash mouth i know they're not the greatest you but know they're fun they're not the best right but to have such disdain against smash mouth because they are popular that's the only reason why it's just not cool they're dopey and silly but all stars All-Star is one of the greatest of its kind. And oh, right. it's for a reason. You just think of somebody once told me, and then you get, got the song playing in your head now. You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, I mean, I think about this, and I think about the Aquabats. And now I didn't discover the Aquabats until much, much later with Fashion Zombies. But, okay. you know, they reflect a lot of the positivity that was, like, an answer to the negativity. Yeah, I, I was there when they started their thing. I was there. And I'm going to take this opportunity to divert okay. into an Aquabats anecdote, if that's okay with you. No, that's fine. My Aquabat anecdote goes like this. I went to my very first Aquabat show, and I liked them because I saw a music video on a TV show that I ended up working for called R. I did graphic design for them two years or so later. But my very first Aquabats show was 1996. I went to this place and I was like, hmm, I want to get some Aquabats merch. What do they got? I don't I don't really want to buy the album for some dumb reason. So I'll buy the headgear. Oh so I bought the God, helmet really? and the mask. And the show was incredibly hot. So they were two or three songs away from the end of the set. And they're like, hey, guys, we got to take a break. Ten minute break? 
or we end the show now. And everybody's like, 10 minute break. So they all cleared the venue. Everybody's outside. 10 minutes come back. Everybody's inside. The band's playing. I'm outside still. And I hear, anybody with Aquabat headgear, anybody who's a cadet, come to the stage, whatever. And I just, this is my first experience with them. And I'm the last person in. And the people in front of me turn to look at me. And the people in front of them turn to look at me. And the people in front of them turn to look at me. And so it's like this wave of people turning to look at me. And I'm wearing this thing on my head that I don't feel because it's it's fitted. And the goggles are on my forehead. And I'm like, huh. Oh, wait. Whoa. And I put them down. And then the crowd split like I was some sort of... Moses, right? <laughs> and I walk through this cloud of people splitting, and it's just so biblical and epic. And then Crash McLarson puts down his sweaty hand and lifts me up to the stage, and then we skank to Ska Robot Army. <laughs> I don't know that song. It's from their first album, Return of the Aquabats. I even have all that. I don't remember those. And, you know, Ruby Fish was really, really popular for a while there. They were like the kiss of ska yeah i knew those guys too because i was in the southern california power pop scene Uh teen heroes ozma weezer even and teen heroes lead guitarist singer guy jesse also had a side project called pal p-a-l with scott kloffenstein the trumpet high-pitched falsetto vocals for real big fish so i knew scott through that but hardly years later when i moved to nashville and uh it was like her second or third year there lb gets us tickets to see real big fish and i i see them outside and i'm like hey scott and he's like who are you <laughs> doesn't remember me boo real big fish forgot who i am they, they have to see thousands and thousands of people every day i mean i know but i've done graphic design for them too yeah boo sorry they forgot who i am it's okay, though. I figured they would. <laughs> it's okay. I, I want to tell you something. I don't even recognize the people I went to high school with. Like, I see them come up on Facebook. I'm like, nope. No clue. Who? I mean, nope. I know the name, nope. but I don't recognize that face in any way whatsoever. So, uh, basketball has a lot of sexism. Uh, all the cheerleaders are super, super over-sexy. Oh, well, there's some double entendres, but they're they're actually bait-and-switch jokes where you think they're talking really dirty about something, like she can suck the chrome off a hitch or whatever. Play some carpet. And then she does. Yeah, yeah, those are bait-and-switch jokes that make you, you the per- You're the pervert. You're the one. That's where your mind went, you know, when she actually comes back with chrome lipstick and funny stuff like that. I mean, that, that plays on everybody else's... Dirty minds. Insinuations or perversions. Yeah, dirty minds. So, I mean, there's that, but then there's also the problematic stuff. Anyway, basketball, I think, is fun and funny. It's also bad. Yeah, there was a golden era for the Zucker Brothers, and that ended after Nicky Gun two and a half. Because the third one, they didn't do. And then they went off into some weird tangent where they're doing serious films like First Night. And But when they came back, when they came <laughs> back to spoof movies, it just isn't the same. 98 is the year that spoof movies fell apart, because this is when there was Mafia, Wrongfully Accused, and Basketball. The same joke is in Mafia as in this, and it's a penis joke. The one flying around? Yes. Oh, I didn't remember that. Yes, in Mafia, it's a scene that's a a high-tension drama scene between him and his mistress or whatever, and he has an erection, but you don't see it. It's all shot above the waist. But instead of basketball showing the penis fly across the screen in a split second as he whips around turns around in mafia he whips around and turns around and he knocks over a lamp that's quite a bit away from him and he winces at it and that's a pg-13 movie in basketball rated r they show part of the penis twice like they show them just standing there and they have like three legs each 
And then the other one is the turning, and it's like at Robert Vaughn, at Robert Vaughn's face too, his reaction to it, he like jerks back and is like, "Whoa, almost hit me there," you know. <laughs> so that's the same joke in two slightly different ways in two different parody movies by the same group of directors, though it's uh, Abrams doing the other one and Zucker doing this right one. when they went there are different directions they had like one year of good like okay so hot shots oh well hot shots 2 is pretty good too but after that it just went downhill yeah so yeah it's all right it's not bad it's it's more uh rose colored glasses viewing now than it is actually a good movie right 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 it captured and a moment ne- in time for our uh, you know this is like just as we were both turning into a, like adult adults you know getting out of yeah, college yeah exactly like the so, uh, uh, the last one is one that i'd only ever heard of in like in a small blip in entertainment weekly and when you mentioned to me i'm like what in the world is that and we went through a long list of movies to discuss and this is one that was very unique at least at the time it was kind of on the cutting edge yeah of what reality tv was i mean i don't think survivor had started yet when this debuted i'm i'm not sure but i know that the film director had actually been working on behind the scenes either editing or sound editing doing something with putting together reality tv shows and he noticed how manipulative it can be the road rules real world the first thing that popped up on our radar was real world even though before that there had been plenty of smaller experiments like pbs had an experiment in the 70s they just followed a family around and shot what they did daily that was made into a a movie with tim robbins on hbo i forget what that's called though yeah they did a parody of a uh, charles groden was charles groden but um albert brooks home movies uh was about that Okay, so the concept's been around. They're usually presented as small uh, documentaries until MTV really picked that up and did Real World. And then the second season of Real World hit, and then the scandals behind the scenes of, like, producers sleeping with cast members and then manipulating so that this cast member gets more time than that cast member gets more time and and then changing the narrative. There's a narrative? It's reality TV. There shouldn't be a narrative. But there's a narrative presented so that's the roots for series seven the contenders everyone gets a number at birth your number comes up they know where you live they come in the night we're here to help you bearing gifts you can't do this now all you have to do is stay alive it's kill or be killed i'm going to win meet the contenders dawn jeff connie Lindsay, tony franklin just watch your back because tony's coming one will win. I'm a survivor. The rest will die. What happens? Series Just thought I'd look these people up. You know, suck them out. The highest rated series in television history. I hate you! Just got too big for your living room. There's a bomb in your house and it's going to blow in about five, four, three, two, one. They're real people. In real danger, in a fight for their lives. Can you shut that off, please? There's not enough light. Yeah, well, why don't you go first then? Right now, I can't see anything. It's too hot for TV. Innocent people are going to get hurt here. And it's coming to a theater near you. The game is real. Which, how is this a sport? Explain the sport to me, sir. Basically, this is the least sport sport of the bunch. It's a competition, but it's not really like, uh, there's no like rules, there's no teams. You know, it's just basically filmed live, basically assassination games. You know, I talked about trying to do tag the assassination game, which you said no. I watched it and it's... I like it. 
Oh, I like it. I know, but it's super boring. It's totally got an after-school special ending. Yeah, so Series 7, they all get like these notifications that they're going to be in this game. And they don't get a choice, right? No, it's it's a government-sanctioned thing. So it's a little bit like The Purge in this Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, it's a little bit like The Purge. Uh, and you have to do it. And I don't even understand why it's such a low number. Of, why does the government only choose like seven people? You think they would be just doing the game with like hundred... Well, I guess to keep the violence down. Though in this town, well, it's no. probably it's probably a lot like Running Man, too. Similar theme. You, you placate the audience by giving them what they want which in this case is seven people killing each other or something like that right basically just you get to know who they are if they were previous competitors you know the history of what they went through and they get names and they're supposed to hunt down these people until it gets down to one but it gets super complicated at the end because one is pregnant and one is dying and one may be the father of the child right maybe but no it's not it's not i can't remember the father of the child here's the deal when they were younger this is also how convoluted this gets. The casting agents, uh, they... Okay, let's go through the, the people. There's a nurse. The nurse is a horrible, horrible, justifying her right-wing tendencies and being an angel of mercy killing people sometimes when they are ill or something. She has confessed to this. She's just a terrible person. Very judgmental. She's bad. There's a teen girl and she's got a boyfriend, whatever, and she, her parents are really pushy. Like, you gotta do this, girl! And there's a guy, just a dad. He's just a schlubby dad. And now the next two, the last two, are our protagonist, Lady. She's pregnant, but this baby's super important to her because when she was younger, she had this boyfriend who may or may not have been gay, but they really loved each other anyway. They got pregnant and she couldn't carry it because you know life circumstance so she got an abortion this is how the nurse judges her by it too so the final contestant ends up being that very same boyfriend what a twist so it's it's a very like that just sounds like oh how that's convoluted that's soap opera ish but when they show the back history of these people so funny so funny when they do the gothic thing did you think of snl's goth talk Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chris Kattan and Molly Shannon used to do this skit called Goth Talk, and it's really, really funny, uh, making fun of gothic people as if they are actually really gothic. And this, when they met in high school, they show this old VHS footage, and they're running around doing their experimental student films and all that stuff. And they, it's just hilariously that. But they don't have any talking scenes. It's just them frolicking, basically, or moping around looking all dumpy and gothy. It's really funny. But that's a really good look on her, by the way. I guess... I don't know. I you, didn't. you didn't really notice? Nah, I did. I did. LB did. We watched these together. I watched these with my wife. You know, it's like homework. I got to watch video night homework. And she's like, oh, really? What is it this time? Oh, okay. <gasps> oh, <laughs> do we watch really <laughs> terrible movies? Is that what it is? Sometimes, but not lately. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not I thought lately. the point lately, was that we didn't watch we've... terrible movies because you always nix the terrible one. No, like the worst of the worst. No, I don't mind talking about like one. Like we got Salute of the Jugger, which I was hoping was going to be good. But every time I had even come across it, uh, I, I never stuck with it. So... This time I stuck with it, and it's there's a reason why I never stuck with it. Huh? See? So, I don't mind talking, but I just don't want to be like, Oh, man, this movie sucked, yo. You know? I don't want right. to... Like, there's too many of those podcasts of people just... Well, even like, on even on Trash Cinema, we try to find movies that we think are trashy but are fun, or at least there's something good to discuss about it. Right, I didn't, right. It started off as ragging on movies, and now I just yeah, can't, I just, I can't do it. Yeah, that's it. 
I don't want to rag on movies. Even if it's a bad movie, I can say it sucks, and I can say why, and hopefully I apply my brain to it. And, and not that, I'm not that funny. I'm not like the guys with How Did This Get Made, where they can just come up with these funny jokes all the time. I just right, can't right, do right, it. Yeah, yeah. I just... Anyway, so this movie, how'd you like the end of it? Wow, that is super complicated. It's, it's weird. This movie, it keeps building to this conspiracy theory thing that you think is going on, and then it kind of reveals itself. And like, oh, this person's supposed to die, this person's not supposed to die. And then one guy gets killed in the mall because he's trying to tell you what's going on. I was okay with it. I wasn't happy, but I was okay with it. Oh, right. I forgot about that guy. Whatever. I forgot about one character. The conspiracy guy. Okay, whatever. The end of it, though. The end, the two lovers show up. The old high school lovers, who are now adults, show up in this uh, movie theater of all places. And they hold the place hostage until the showrunners show up. And and then the footage changes, saying that they lost footage. The footage was damaged or something. And so this is a, a honest to God, I promise this is the truth, reenactment. And then they recast everybody... With reenactment actors. And one of those guys is the guy who's been doing the voiceover the whole time, which we never see. It's Will Arnett. And we do actually see him there on the floor that time. Yeah, it's weird. It's uh, This is way before he even did Arrested Development. I think, what, three years before? So this is like the first thing that I think probably was widely seen. Yeah. Well, And this wasn't you know very I mean? widely seen. No, yeah. you know what I mean. But it was released... Uh, it wasn't a direct-to-video film. It wasn't some small TV thing. It was an actual film film. This movie has two other movies in common with it. One of them is The Running Man. We previously talked about that. I don't know if you've been paying attention to this whole podcast. But Running Man in this movie, people are assigned to... Instead of one person assigned to run the gauntlet, it's everybody who has been assigned has to kill the other person. I mean, that's kind of The Running Man, except they're all the contestant. Two, this movie has a little bit in common with Gamer, which could have been on this, but you didn't. You hate the Gamer movie. I hate <laughs> that movie. But it has a lot in common with it. Gamer is run like a reality TV show, but uh, through cross-platforms, so internet and TV, network and so on. And it has sort of a similar ending where they face off against the Will Arnett guy in, in Gamer. It's Michael C. Hall, but it's more of an action thing in Gamer. It's all action in Gamer. Why don't you like Gamer? Gamer is macho, barfy bullshit. Hate I don't think it is. But, no, okay, I just, it's nauseating. Me. It's just, I don't. Oh, the, it's kinetic. It's Neville Dean and Taylor. Yeah. You had to like so Frank. Made... I just didn't like Gamer. I really did not like Gamer. Huh. Okay. All right. Fine. You're entitled to not liking stuff. There. I thought it. But yeah, I, I found that the themes to be similar. In, in Gamer and this, and Running Man. So, reality game show, reality sport, reality TV, reality assassination game sport. That's our list, sir. Hey, everybody. Check us out on Facebook under Video Nights. We also have a Patreon on Retro Rocket Entertainment. Um, if you want to help donate a little bit, little shekels here and there every month. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to say something stupid like keep the lights on. I, I hate it when comedians say that. It's like, you have a high-paying job. Every single... You know, <laughs> You're like, talking Dana Gould. Yes, I mean, keep the lights on. What are you talking about? You were a head writer on Simpsons for like a decade. You have enough money to last a lifetime. Yes, yes, you, an IFC TV show that's Right, and he's like, keep the lights on. I'm like, dude, some of us work retail. Some of us are artists that are freelance. <laughs> It costs a, 20. It's a turn of phrase, Michael. It's, it's a turn of on, phrase. Man. It costs 20 bucks a month to host the podcast, you know, and that's like eight episodes. And But it's a turn of phrase. And he's already got commercial sponsorship, too. Come on. But it's a turn 
the face. Yeah, come on, no. I heard Gilbert Godfrey say it too. He's just like, ah, keep the lights on. I'm like, shut up. You can just go out right now and get a thousand dollar gig just doing twenty minutes. But it's set. a turn of phrase, Michael. How many times are you gonna make me say the phrase turn of phrase? I know, I heard you. I'll turn of phrase, kiss my butt. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, on that note everybody, good night. Good night. I poo-pooed. I love that movie. Shut up. Pan and scan, ladies and gentlemen. Too legitly to quitly. I used to be a pun guy. Don't stop believing. I can't believe what I just saw. I like it.